Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Literally Gaysian. Literally Gaysian. Hi, all It's Literally Gaysians, the podcast where two gay Asian guys, also known as Gaysians, Gaysians. get real about their feelings and literally Gaysian stuff. Oh, my God. I can't even say literally this week. I'm Chris, and this is my co-host, only on the show because, once again, affirmative action, bound to win. <laughs> hey, hey, everyone. And we all know I'm not smart enough to get onto this show on my own. Uh, and that's the perfect shady intro for us to dive headfirst into a pretty serious topic today. Gaysian discrimination, um, particularly at work. Uh, so it's a really heavy topic for us since um, our friend, he suffered in it silently really recently. That is until he decided to join other Asian Americans to do two things. First, speak up against the actual discrimination and sue the motherfuckers at his old employer. <laughs> so just last month, he joined other Asian Americans to file lawsuits at the former tech companies they all worked at. And they spoke up online and in a feature in USA Today. And today, he joins us on the podcast to talk about his specific experience and also the more systemic history of bias against Asians in corporate America. So yeah, pretty heavy topic. Also, he's our good friend and Mariah. Mariah Carey lover, Jack Song. Thanks Welcome, for coming Jack. on, Jack. Hi. Hello. Where'd you get a Mariah Carey lover from? That's 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 new. News to me. I've I've seen your posts on on Facebook. I support. I support. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, and Jack, remind me how we all met again. 
How you met me? How you met Chris? Oh boy, I, I was thinking about this, and I, I think I'll, hopefully I, I don't date you, but um, it, I think it was through Downlink. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> I just came out, and I was like, "Who's this cute little Asian?" Uh, and turns out it was Bao. And then I think <laughs> that is how we met. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yes, for oh, and, then we, okay. and then we finally met in person. Yes, and then we finally met in person. Um, this was yes. Anyways, I think when. CD player may still have been a thing. And then how I met Doncha, Chris, uh, you know, I, I've always admired Chris' uh, creativity and smarts. And I think there's some ways I, I, I wish I'm more like mm. him. And I always uh-huh. admire how you guys are in because everyone, it's just such a tight-knit group. I can never crack in. But one day. <laughs> <laughs> you can sit with us. Yeah, we're actually with a bunch of our friends here in Puerto Vallarta. It's so hot. And we also partied all weekend. So if you hear us stumbling our words, which we have, that's why. And what you and I share, Jack, is a PR career. So why don't you talk about how you got started in that and what got you into the tech industry? Um, you know, I was really lucky that well, I, I have a I have a mom that was uh, encouraged me to explore. Uh, and um, if it weren't for her, I think I'd probably be sued for medical malpractice right now as a doctor. So I'm really <laughs> happy that I went into um, as storytelling. So I uh, started my career in entertainment PR, and I actually worked on a lot of uh, big Hollywood blockbuster film, but also stories from our own community of uh, films like Better Luck Tomorrow. And that's really where I got my start, Heron Kumar, The White Castle. Um, and then from there, I realized I had the bug for you know going to politics. So I became a press secretary, got recruited to San Francisco, fell in love here. And then I looked around and said, oh, shit, how am I going to stay here in San Francisco? Everything's so expensive. Aha, mm. tech. Um, <laughs> that's how I you know, got into tech after having gone to business school. But my passion has always been identifying something that's complicated or uh, emerging tech and be able to kind of break it down for grandmas down the street. Um, And my North Star has always been uh, identifying opportunities or products that enhance people's lives and change their behavior. Yeah, that's fascinating because I remember Better Luck Tomorrow. Those were the movies that raised me and kind of shaped um, how I wanted to see more media and be in it. I actually wanted to become an aspiring actor and be in these movies. And I worked in a magazine where our cover shoot was of the cast of Better Luck Tomorrow. It's so weird that we have that previous connection now. I wonder if you and I like connected over that was this noodle it literally would have been 20 years ago and i love that intro i'm like interviewing for jobs right now and i'm just gonna copy and paste what you said that's gonna be my intro to these recruiters well (laughs) bring it up because in those interviews i think uh you know we've all been in those rooms and you really have to because of person being a person of color you kind of have to have your whole playbook down um you have to be able to speak their language so to catch their attention and Gosh, folks in the tech industry, their attention span is just like minimal. So fast forward, uh, 2017, you joined the company Lime. You know, many know it as their brightly colored scooters. Is that right? Uh, And it started off great. But when and how did that change for you? Yeah, and I had to uh, make it very clear. It's still the best experience uh, to date. Uh, uh, and I'm still close to two co-founders who happens to be Asian-Americans and also um, graduates of high school business, which, where I graduated as well. Um, I think what it changed, it changed when um, Lime was going through, you know, more 
uh, funding and then investors brought in uh, additional firepower. However, the firepower came from a lot of Uber 1.0 execs or that folks from that era. And, you know, all you have to do is check out Mike Isaac's book, Super Pumped, about how Uber and the Uber culture of uh, kind of the first generation of that era, how it was racist, homophobic, um, sexist, Mm. and that got impacted uh, at line. Did you feel it was discrimination? Was it something that really stood out in your mind um, right in the moment? It actually took me a few years, and it really took the pandemic for me to process. Uh, At the time, I didn't know what I was going through. I didn't have the language. I knew it was discrimination of some sort. So, for example, I was, I think, employee 28 at Lime. By the time I left, there were about 600 people worldwide. And I was in charge of building our brand and communication strategy. And what was gratifying about that opportunity at the time was I got, I wore multiple hats. I went uh, and did government relations, given my former kind of political background, went in front of city council members, tried to pitch the project. Uh, and then because of my entertainment background, I also led a lot of uh, celebrity and brand partnerships. It was a dream job. I traveled around the world and launched the product. Um, what it changed for me was when the new wave of execs came in, there was a conscious effort of trying to push out what, you know, the quote unquote old guards, uh, anybody that was in their way, they were trying to get rid of. And I was one of those people. And the first step was to strip away all my responsibilities. So I went from doing all these amazing, cool things with the blessing of the co-founders to I was literally, figuratively, shoved in the corner of the headquarters and just doing ended up just doing summarizing news articles for execs. I mean, an intern could could have done that. You don't need somebody with an MBA for that. So that was the first kind of red flag. And there were multiple. I think the final straw was really when I was no longer allowed to speak or interact with the press. And I was told that I lack command of the English language. And at the time, it was hard for me to process. And then... in retrospect, that's what we call gaslighting, where an individual tried to uh, reshape your reality to the point that it's not even the truth. Um, and and that's, I carried that anger for the past four years, where ever since I left Lyme, it was just, it was eating me up until the pandemic hit. I realized I have to do something because what I was observing, what was happening happening in the streets with these anti-Asian hate crimes Uh, was really happening in the workspace. Um, Asian Americans are not getting promoted. Um, We are uh, faced with racist behavior from execs, um, sometimes colleagues. And more and more people were speaking up because of the pandemic. I think related to that, or like part two of that question is like, how did you know for sure it was discrimination? Like, because I think I can look back in my past and run through some interactions and microaggressions at work. But I think I'm the kind of person that would find a way to convince myself that people just mean well. For people who've never been through it, how can they spot from your experience like what discrimination is? First of all, I think it you have to do a gut check. If you don't feel my now, my go-to rule is if you feel uncomfortable or felt threatened in any way, that's discrimination. 
in my in my case particularly, I think it was just straight up um, verbal, um, you know, confrontation, saying that I did not have good command of the English language. One and two, the isolation, the physical and emotional isolation, that was definitely an aggression that I didn't realize at the time. But then, in retrospect, when I look around, the team that I helped to build. And unfortunately, at the time, the team I helped to build just happens to be all white. Um, and But they were very talented. They were very talented. And they were colleagues, dear friends of mine now. Um, but at the time I looked around, how come the most senior guy who happens to be a person of color got demoted while the rest, you know, essentially were not impacted? So I think you have to look for patterns and uh, essentially really doing a gut check. And was that demotion um, like it was like a, an official demotion or just because of the work that they were giving you? Um, it was a little bit both. It wasn't publicly stated, but it was the work through the workload. I mean, essentially, I went from doing a lot. And that's what's exciting about startups. And that's why I love about building companies. It's, you get to wear multiple hats. But literally overnight, I was sitting there cranking out, you know, uh, newsletters for execs and that was it shitty in the pr world interns do that work or coordinators right it's a very entry-level task to summarize news articles and for the most senior person to do that is a waste of talent and a waste of their time and like a signal that they're stripping away the duties and the leadership in that role honestly jack after i read um your linkedin posts and the usa today story and i'm embarking on these interviews and they're 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 similar to kind of roles that you've been in before i'm really asking those questions mm -hmm. like how many people of color are in leadership and how in the PR team and the leaders, how many people are people of color from marginalized communities? Because the old place that I worked, I think overall, the diversity was good in leadership and the PR team was still pretty white. And being the only person of color on the, the PR team means that you kind of hold the burden of representing all the marginalized views or all the white people come to you and say like, why are people saying black and brown? Should I say black and brown? Or like, what's the- yeah, Is this uh, okay to say? Gay people? <laughs> yeah, I get, I get called, can you read this for me and just like tell me if it's racist sounding or if it sounds too white? And then at some point I'm like, that's not in my I'm job. Like, if you had to ask, then probably it was. <laughs> yeah, and, and particularly in 2020, after 2020, George Floyd, everyone really cared about this, right? And then like, then I saw the mm. onus it put on other black executives in my company to be always asked for their input on something. You know, I think now people care less. Leadership's like, oh, George Floyd happened. We fixed everything already. So let's not be woke anymore, right? And so I think that coming into these interviews and my next leadership role, really thinking about like, what does, what's it going to look like for me as a person of color leader? No, that, that's a great call out. And I think Silicon Valley is still not understanding the importance of diversity, equity, and inclusion. It, there is a socioeconomic impact to the products that they're building. If you can, if your product can serve even a greater audience, then why not? If you can have greater points of views on your product, I think that's a great benefit, the diversity in thought. But I feel that because Silicon Valley prides itself in moving fast, breaking things fast, learning fast and move on. There's no, um, there hasn't been an opportunity for the industry to really reflect what it means to have diversity. And that's why I think voices like ours, you know, even having a podcast with literally Gaijin, it's so important because it really does help to galvanize the community and educate the community. You know, after George Floyd, it was a hyper fixation on fix, like, mm -hmm. fixing things fast. 
And so we saw a lot of great programs. We saw a lot of virtue signaling, but I still think the impact was great. But I do think now in 2023 with the culture wars at the way they are, I think you know people are stepping back. People are making some decisions that you know I don't agree with. Um, and at one point, the chief diversity officer was the most sought after leadership role um, in 2020, 2021. And now it isn't. Now I think people are um, downsizing those teams. They've all been let and go. So, yeah. And so I think that's, a, you know, that's that wave back and forth. And I think as um, people of color in these, in, in these companies, you, you had a question, what you had, you had a question, um, like a company's like long-term commitment to that. Yeah, and I think the key for me, just on a superficial level, I always look at the the leadership makeup, um, and I also, you know, because of the industry that I'm in, I look at, you know, who are the folks that's doing the storytelling? Is it a diverse team, or is it like the same kind of cookie cutting folks that we see that just it, 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 you see we know who they are? Um, so I always look for those kind of those signs. After that all happened, how are you doing now? I am doing well. So. I, again, Lime was such a great experience um, and I learned a lot about myself and I, I'll share this cool story. So when um, when we did a partnership, when Lime did a partnership with Stella McCartney, I had, I had the great privilege of flying out to Paris uh, to do, uh, to be part of the Paris Fashion Week. I think this is 20. That's so cool. It was absolutely awesome. But if you could just imagine, um, you know, for me, uh, I was, uh, you know, I was standing at the, the 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 show at this one particular show, and I was looking at that's Rihanna's uh, designer, that's Rihanna's stylist, there's Beyonce's stylist, and I was in the room with all these people, and immediately, and we discussed this often with our, within our community, the imposter syndrome kicked in, and I just froze there. I was like, I'm gonna get called out, you know. I'm head to toe fabulous in my Zara, all black. <laughs> I froze. I literally could not get into the show with my ticket in hand. And God bless my colleague, now a really great friend of mine. She's French. She's uh, with Spanish background. My good friend Paloma, and pardon the language, you know the French, they're very direct. She pulled me aside and she said, you know what? You are leading one of the hottest startups in Silicon Valley. You're here in Paris Fashion Week as a guest of honor. Um, you're, you know the mayor of San Francisco. You know all these elected officials. You know, and you're married to a cool attorney. You know, so act like one. Don't act like a China man because you are not. And I was like, holy shit! She just read me. But the the harshness of that of those words. And again, pardon the language barrier or um, a loss in translation a little bit. But the harshness of that taught me a huge lesson, which is know your know your worth. And because of that incident, I was able to deal with the the um, racial discrimination at Lyme towards the end of my career at Lyme. I was able to stand up for myself and completely walk away from a toxic relationship or a toxic work environment. And fast forward, you know, I think five, six years later, I mean, 2023 marks my 10th year in Silicon Valley. I'm very proud to say that I will um, no longer tolerate those kind of behavior. And in fact, I started my own brand strategy communications firm because I do believe there's a space where people of color founders are not being serviced properly. Um, their story is not being told properly. And I want to be able to provide that. That French coworker was, uh, 
Was she white or Asian? She's a French Spaniard. Now, that's a whole different racial dynamic, being Europe, being, I think, person of color. So it's different. Oh, yeah, because I don't, I don't know if I would be, like, that cool with someone calling me a Chinaman. But... Oh, absolutely not. No, okay. inappropriate. <laughs> but it was so, it was so harsh-sounding because that, she called out exactly what I was thinking without those harsh words. I mean, I just felt like I was a foreigner in, in the middle of this, you know, in the middle of this awesome fashion week. But then, you know, I think what the way she called it out, it was also a lot of like the childhood kind of trauma when we're in school, you know, you face kind of bullying and uh, on the playground. I think she, just the harshness of those words really pulled out kind of my emotional side of what I was dealing at the time. I feel like it's like our N-word in a way. <laughs> It is. But you know what? I think not to go down the rabbit hole on this particular work. However, I do think the stereotype is something that we often face in the industry. I think, you know, Asian Americans are often seen, uh, especially actually people of color are often seen as mechanical. We are here to deliver a service. So that's all we can do. Um, we cannot be on a strategy level. That's why you don't see a lot of times, you don't see a lot of us on the C-suite because we're seen as, again, we deliver finance, HR, but when it comes to business development, strategy work, or even running a company, it's, it's hard to see people like us. So you eventually left this toxic place and you didn't just put it behind you, you left into action, right? So there was, what, was there a moment that inspired you to do what was next? Like to say, sue them, sue the fuckers. <laughs> well, um, I think it really started with, um, you know, during the pandemic, I saw a fellow Asian American. His name's Justin Zhu. He founded his own company, uh, a startup that eventually became like a 400 person uh, company, uh, just doing really, really great. And then his investors uh, told him, you know what, you you don't have the right face to be a CEO. And he <sighs> filed a lawsuit against his investors. And when I saw that in Bloomberg and across all top tier publications, I realized, wait a minute, that's kind of my story. So I reached out to him and um, what he pointed out and the word he used was, you're still going through trauma. And that really stuck with me. I realized I have to do something. And turns out there were others um, through, the, uh, through the work of um, Stand With Asian Americans, they were identifying folks that were facing discrimination and taking action. So we all banded together and decided to share our story publicly. So really credit goes to Justin who took action and also founded this amazing organization called Stand With Asian Americans. And the organization, I encourage your listeners to check it out. It is um, a lot of Asian American business leaders, a lot of folks in tech um, that is gathering kind of community resources, finance, legal, to really call out these uh, behavior, workplace uh, discrimination, but also anti-Asian um, hate crimes. A little bit more on the USA Today story. They dove into this, um, but why do you think Asian Americans experience discrimination at work? And, you know, sometimes I wonder, is... Is there a cultural thing that many people of color have to experience, like growing up being told to keep your nose down? You know, you work hard, 
you're supposed to just be recognized. You don't have to speak up to move up the corporate ladder. But we've all seen, like, in television shows and through our personal experiences, that you have to be the loudest and not necessarily qualified. Uh, like, how do you distinguish between this as, like, management, like, from a management perspective even, or as potential victims? You have to know who you are and what are your values. Um I think that's important, knowing who you are, knowing your truth, because a lot of times just going through kind of the uh, you know, work environment, there will be some, sometimes people try to take away your narrative or reshape your narrative where um, the truth is no longer um, accurate about who you are. So that's, that's one. I think, too, we are fighting this historical, uh, historic uh, uh, aspect as well. There's a reason why we... Um, we are seeing historically as the folks that ran the laundry shops, ran uh, ran the nail salons, ran the donut shops, a lot of service oriented because those were mm. the only opportunities we were given um, because of the, uh, the way the society was run at the time. And I think that stereotype is um, permeates in various industries. And I think a lot more in tech as well. And that as a result, a lot of times Asian Americans are just seen as workers. We are we are productive. We are um, part of the cog, and we are part of the machine. So that narrative needs to be changed. And I'm really glad to see that more and more Asian Americans are calling out uh, this kind of framework and are asking why. That's one. And another part, there, we need to educate our own community, too. I recently met with a former, well, a current CEO and who happens to be South Asian. And I brought up this issue to him, you know, just uh, out of uh, you know, conversational. Uh, anyway, and he said, I don't think there's a problem. We are actually well represented in the industry. So there's even a disconnect with folks that are that look like us, that are at the C-suite or at leadership level that don't see that there's a lack of diversity um, in the tech industry. Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up because Bao and I have talked in the past about, yes, there is a larger representation in tech with the Asian American community, but I've literally heard, because I've worked in IT, where some people will say, oh yeah, we'll just hire a bunch of Indian folks. They work hard and um, don't say much, don't. And I'm like, how are you saying this out loud to me? I'm right here. This, this is a community of people that are more than just people to, like, pump out code. Yeah, and then the, the person that made that comment gets your high, gets, you know, probably promoted because he's showing, you know, improvement in, in the system, et cetera. And then can you just imagine, this is the problem, I think, with the industry. We continue to promote folks that have this kind of mindset um, toward people of color. And I think that is a detriment to the industry and the products that the industry is trying to develop. One of the um, things that stood out about the USA Today article was, I think they interviewed someone who was suing Meta. And the stat that really kind of brought the issue to light was like ha almost half or more than half of people at Meta are either people of color or actually Asian American or Asian. Mm -hmm. But only they represent less than 20% of the leadership roles, which shows you the disconnect or really brings to point that we're traditionally seen as worker bees, but not as leaders. Um, and I think there are ways to um, improve that if like management takes it seriously and intentionally. And I think you, 
and while one of the credits I will give to my former employer is that they really um, pushed managers to think about inclusion in every decision that they made in people planning and team planning. I think we gave a lot of feedback at our old, my old company. And then like we would work with HR to figure out if the feedback was coded in bias or could be coded mm-hmm. in bias um, because I had um, plenty of people of color who, who reported into me. And so I think um, if more of the industry could be that way, if some if there were smart people or advisors to these leaders telling them like, okay, you, you really haven't thought about it from this perspective. And so you need to start planning long-term for like more diversity in your leadership teams and everything. Um, and for it to be important to the CEO, right? So the managers feel like it's, it's important. I think you have to change the whole culture for it to be, um, for it to improve. Yeah, absolutely. And I also do think that we need to hold our allies accountable too. I think, uh, and this is not a term I coined, but I, but I do think it's appropriate to share, which is enough with the theatrical allyship. We really do need, if you're going to be an ally, you have to be there and helping us to amplify our message. Also help us to fight the fight. Um, it Don't show up when it's convenient for you. And I think that's a big, that's an important ask for us too. It's nice what you're saying, but what you're going to do? What are you actually yes, exactly. have decided to do? Mm-hmm. Um, and what are you going to change? And that's the hardest part, figuring out what you're going to change. So, so Jack, have you always been a person to speak up? Like, tell us a little bit about like little boy Jack and what your what his journey has oh been until today. When he's not shoving his face in a bowl of rice and mayo, um, yeah. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> I, yeah. So hot. You know, I'm very lucky in the sense that my mom has always been very progressive. Uh, she's always taught me to represent those who are not in the room. And at the time, I really didn't know what that means. But as I grow older, um, you know, she pushed me more into like civic engagement. So uh, focusing more on politics. And I, you know, in some ways, I wish she pushed me, you know, your traditional Asian, good Asian sun route, uh, business or uh, or econ or bio. But um she always told me to be loud because she was loud. Uh, she always stood uh, stood up for what she believed is, is right. So that has always carried me throughout my entire career. And I think as I look back, you know, having been in entertainment, politics and tech, I love uh, working for the underdog. Um, and Lime was a good story, too. I mean, it was two Asian-American co-founders who started this company and was most sought after in Silicon Valley. And I wanted them to succeed. And I think today, Lion's still very successful. Uh, it's a, it's worldwide. So that's something I'm very proud of. I think a lot of Asian families didn't have a mother like yours, right, To who pushed them to civic engagement. Um, what, what made it different about your mom for her to inspire this value in you since, since you were a kid? I think she identified, she knew, and maybe she was an outsider as well. Um, she came from, uh, well, now come to think of it, she came from the media world as well. She was an editor for like a Japanese like fashion magazine. I think she, she was a storyteller. Um, so I think perhaps that's why she pushed me to um, go into more uh, non-traditional route. Many of us were raised not to make waves. It's something that don't just talk about before. You know, just keep your heads down, do the work. It gets us into the door at these companies, but obviously it can also hold us back and create the system of discrimination. And also keep us silenced when we're wronged and not speak up as much. Um, what advice do you have to our listeners out there in the workforce who are afraid to speak up or who feel like something is wrong 
at the places that they work at and they're getting discriminated against? Like, what advice do you have for those people who are maybe afraid to make waves? There are two, two, I guess, two categories. One category is like, what should you do legally? And the other category is more of a philosophical. So let's just go with the, uh, uh, the, 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 the logistics. I think it's important when you feel like you've been wrong, it's important to keep a, uh, a record. And also the time to file for a lawsuit, it is limited. You really, the minute that you feel like you're discriminated, I think you just need to start the process. And I would encourage your listeners to go to standwithasianamericans.com. Now there are resources uh, that basically is like a step-by-step that helps potential victims to tell their stories and go through the whole legal process with the state, um, but also privately with the, with, uh, through the legal process. And I want to share that at the time, you know, when all this happened, uh, I looked up Asian American discrimination in tech and ironically, and maybe not so ironically, there was only one article or whatever resource was out there. Really, there was one HBR article that talked about the lack of Asian Americans in leadership. It's like, well, and there were no resources at the time, but now we do. I think philosophically, uh, um, when you feel like you discriminated, I think you need to ask yourself, you know, one, you know, what are your values? Uh, are you, and of course, the, as we plan our careers, we do have to take calculated risk. It doesn't make sense to file a lawsuit, does it? Or uh, what's the best way to approach it? I think you have to ask yourself that question and seek out help uh, also to those that have been through the process. And fortunately, more and more folks are speaking up and you're now seeing more and more different kind of um, discrimination played out in the workplace. And so it's setting examples for those that do want to potentially pursue um, action on what to do. So there are now examples uh, out there. So bottom line is you're not alone. If you feel wrong, you got to speak up uh, or take action. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Thank you. 
And so it's time to be real, the part of the episode where we get real about whatever's on our hearts and our brains. And don't you, you get to go first. It's time to be real. I actually had like planned out this whole be real. I was going to talk about my dad, which, but then all these other things came up while talking to you, Jack. So like, I'll do, I got two be reals. Like uh, I've been, you know, as everyone knows, I've been traveling a lot, keeping myself busy. And during these little downtimes by myself at home, I've had more time to sit and be alone and sort of think about the passing of my dad more lately. And, you know, in the beginning, I was like, oh, I don't like my family. But now I'm starting to miss him, thinking about all the questions I would have asked, um, but I can't anymore. And I know this is cheesy, but there was this moment on a recent episode of Star Trek, Strange New Worlds, where they're talking to the character who was trying to avoid social interactions and because uh, he was talking about missing his father. And someone said to him, well, why don't you stop avoiding those interactions so that all the people that love you can spend more time with you? And I feel like that's what my dad did. He avoided us, kicked us out all the time from his nursing home. And I think it really took, a, in his attempt to not burden us, it burdened us more. So I just think about how I miss him more in that sense. But what came up like while we were talking about this was I'm wondering if I was discriminated against in the workplace because when, when I was asking, how did you know? I'm like, oh my God, I didn't know. And I, I, I think about the times where as a as a queer Asian person, how I've seen so many other straight white men move very quickly past me um, or straight men. And uh, I wonder if the way I showed up at work may have held me behind. And uh, I don't know. I don't know how to feel like about it yet. Uh, besides feeling shitty that I could have um, been discriminated in the workplace. So maybe so, maybe there'll be more B-reels coming up about this and why I'm laid off right now. No, I, I feel you at that because you, and that's one thing I've always loved about you is that you showed up, you show up as your authentic self, the hair color, just the t-shirts. And <laughs> um, it's something I think about a lot, like how much of a corporate person I want to cosplay when I'm in these spaces and how sometimes it's led to like a lot of my success. And I'm talking about the interviewing process. Like I had, I had asked a couple of friends, like, should I dye my hair back to black for these interviews? These are leadership interviews. And I'm going to show up these other companies that aren't like an entertainment company, aren't free or aren't like tech companies. Um, and there's going to be a person with piercings and like blonde hair sitting across from them that they're considering for a leadership role. Like, should I go back to black hair and cosplay like this straight presenting type of candidate. Um, I decided not to, and I don't know if that's going to cost me, but you do bring up a good point of like, you know, we, we are three queer Asian men. We, we can come off at the intersections and um, sometimes you question whether people are going to value that or use it against us. Even in dating, presenting as the way I do, sometimes it makes it a little harder. <laughs> but I feel very happy and comfortable with myself, even though uh, there's 
some discrimination in all variations that might come my way. Jack, so as our guest, go for it. Like it's your time to be real. What's on your what's on your heart? What's on your mind? I I have to be real. I, I will start with I think it's relevant to this conversation. I think it's so important to seek therapy on a regular basis. I think within our community, we just don't talk about mental wellness, um, mental health at all, uh, or not as often enough. Uh, and I'll be real, I had my therapy session today. <laughs> uh, poor guy, he, I had to unload years of drama on him, but I do think the best uh, kind of description uh, of a therapist is it's really it's a mental coach for your brain. So if you're going to be if you need to train at the gym, we all hang out at the gym, we have workout. Why not train for your brain? So um, and, and we all have a lot of voices. I think that comes from uh, childhood uh, and even as adult, we're figuring things out. So we, we it's good to have tools to identify where those voices are coming from. Um, my second be real is I think, you know, given today's topic was a little bit heavy, uh, I'll, uh, a little bit lighter, uh, fair, if you will. Uh, I'm going to be real. I don't understand Taylor Swift. I don't get it. I think it's <laughs> name. It's vapid. Um, it's, it sounds like my poetry when I was in middle school when I was heartbroken, you know, uh, they, it's just not good. So what the heck? Like, what is this fascination? I mean, props to her, but again, I'm going to be real. I don't fucking get it. You know, I'm with you on that. I am happy for her success. I'm sorry. But I don't get being a Swifty. Why is she making $13 million a show for such mediocrity? And I should add that I tried. I listened to her songs. You know, I again, I don't get it. So You're gonna get a lot of hate. We're gonna get a lot of hate. <laughs> I, I think, yeah, Bowser yeah, is quite silent. He may be a Swifty. No, I'm not a Swifty, but I do like her. I do like two particular albums. I like 1989. I love folklore. I love sad girl rock shit. So I love Lana Del Rey, and like to sort of like in the same category of music. Um, and I. Sometimes when I'm sad, I just put that on or Harry Styles. Like the music's not too deep and it's just in the background um, and it's like a particular vibe. And I think she speaks for the unvoiced mediocre white women out there. There's not enough voices mm. <laughs> for them. <laughs> and she speaks for them. Um, and luckily that's a big group of women who are going to spend a lot of money. And a lot of gay guys love her. So many Swifties going to the Eras tour. I will add that I am a fan of reputation because, you know, as a gay man, we all need a revenge album or a playlist. And that's a, that's a good one. That's a solid one. We should go back on private on your socials after this episode airs. The Swifties <laughs> oh, are going to come for you. The gays will come for you. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Again, I, Reputation, awesome album. Oh, <laughs> I actually thought that album was the worst because I'm like, no one's asking you to dance, girl. Like, stop dancing. Oh, we Just, all need I like I like singer songwriter, I like singer songwriter Taylor. Ah, uh, okay, fair. Yeah, I thought this album. So, gays like this album. Yeah, everyone's seen that. Everyone's seen that meme of her on TikTok in that red shimmery outfit, trying to body roll, but she's just writhing on stage. It's like, I get. You're trying to compete with Beyonce for stage presence. Just sing. Just use that pretty little voice of yours. Don't dance. Uh, Bao, so what do you have to share today? Um, so my Be Real is 
going to be pretty like, I guess, unfiltered, not a fully formed thought. But something that's come up this weekend here is that, you know, I like rekindled a friendship that I had been avoiding for a while. And in doing that, like had a really vulnerable Molly talk <laughs> with a friend that I probably <laughs> shut out, shut out of my life a couple of times. And then there's a lot of like background that goes into it that I won't go into. But the thing I notice is that I tend to do this with friends, certain friends. And it's a very, and I feel like a villain because of it. Cause he's not the only person I've done that to. I've done that to like a few other people when I am, um, I guess not comfortable in the friendship again. And I don't have, I don't have a good reason. Like sometimes there's a good reason or like someone betrays you and everything, but sometimes it's just like, I don't vibe with this person anymore maybe because of what I'm going through in my life and they like bring up um, like triggers in me. And so I've done this to like a couple of friends where I just ice them out and I slow ghost. And I think I should have a conversation more frankly and honestly, but I don't know how to do that. So I think I leave them hanging in silence or I text back in a friendly way to avoid hanging out and give them no reason. And I do think, and, and I've heard from other people who talk to those friends that like it distressed them, right? They feel, they feel like they've done something wrong. Um, and when they ask me if they've done something wrong, I kind of say like, everything's fine. Everything isn't fine. And realizing this about me is, I think this first step. I am not being the person I think um, I want to be. And I don't know how to fix it. I don't know how to make amends. Um, I don't know if it's too late. And so I'm just wrestling that with now. It's something I want to work on, but rekindling the friendship this weekend kind of made me realize like I have a lot there's something there there's something that makes me put this wall up when when I get into um we get these feelings about friends and it's not fair to them is this something that happened post-pandemic or it's been ongoing post-pandemic post-pandemic yeah and and for each of them it's a different reason but I realize I react the same way and it's not pleasant for anybody you know but I don't know. I got, I got some thinking to do on that. I would say be kind to yourself. Unsolicited advice. Be kind to yourself. I think all of us are crawling out, out of the pandemic and learning how to socialize properly again and re-examining our values and relationship with people. So it's still a journey. Yeah, and I wonder, like, especially in those situations, and I just think, oh, it's my boundary. I can't hang out with people. Like, am I putting up, am I sticking up for my boundaries or just putting up a wall so I don't have to deal with it. So I don't have to deal with conflict. Um, and I really, you know, when you hear, you hear a lot about like people weaponizing therapy language um, to hurt other people. And I, I wonder if this behavior is actually in that category. And I want to, yeah, look, I, I, I am giving myself some grace and kindness, but I do think there, there's something there that I don't think I'd be the best person I can be um, without addressing it. And on that light, light topic, that's all the time we have for this episode. Oh my so while I go, while I go I'm speaking of Taylor Swift, it's uh, me, I'm the problem, it's me. Um, but Jack, thank you so much for being so honest about everything you went through. And we have so much to think about and learn from it. So again, thank you, Jack. Yes, thank you. And thank you, too, for being amazing storytellers. I'm learning so much about our community through this particular podcast. So you guys are awesome. Thank you. Oh, yay. Yeah. So if people want to follow you on the socials, uh, where can they find you? 
Uh, they can find me on MySpace or Downlink. No, uh, I think <laughs> Downlink. <laughs> Instagram is probably the best. J to the S O. Yes, it's a homage to J Lo, my fave. Oh, so it's you're a J Lo fan, so I guess you got to mix that in with the Mari Carey stuff. Uh, so they don't like each other, but <laughs> everyone else, you can follow <laughs> us at Literally Gaysians on TikTok and Instagram. And then join us in a few weeks for another episode. Till then, bye. Bye. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit Juvederm.com.